Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome into the Monday, October the 8th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Winkfield, and as always, I am going to be here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And oh boy, do we have a lot to unpack on today's show. The Dolphins blow a 17-point lead in Cincinnati to the Bengals. They fall to 3-2, and two, and the collective fan base is about to internally explode. We're going to go over the game, from what went wrong, why you should be pulling your hair out, but also sprinkling a touch of optimism, as well as one big thing at the end of the show that might surprise a few folks. We'll do all of that, but first... Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Let us know who your favorite Dolphins fan podcast is. Give me a follow on Twitter, at Wingful NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter. And follow the show at LockedOnFins. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one blog in the Lockdown Network. And last but not least, the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. All right, as you guys can imagine, I have a lot to say. Let's go ahead and get right to it. That's another Miami Dolphins. Let's just unpack this meltdown one by one here. I think it's a little bit of good therapy for everyone to have something like this to go through to get over a loss like that. It is never easy. I felt sick to my stomach all day. I felt like the first time a girlfriend broke up with me that I actually really liked, and I just felt like, where do I go? What do I do? What is life at this point, you know? And it just wasn't fun to be around any football all day. My Twitter sucked, getting online, trying to watch the other games. Everything about this Sunday just sucked. And then I went to my fiance's grandparents' house for dinner, which it's always fun. They're nice people. We have a good time and it's family and all that stuff that goes into that. But it's still your grandparents' house. Like They had like the PBS channel on over the actual Sunday night game, which I didn't even care at this point. But what I realized was that when I finally got to the point to where I was somewhat over the loss or ready to move on from the loss was when I talked about it to their to her grandparents and just telling them about the Tannehill interception play and how crazy unlucky it was. And so that kind of helped back me off the ledge a little bit. But nonetheless, a huge loss, an absolutely devastating loss for the Dolphins. It still really, really sucks. And I still do have some altered views in terms of this team's long-term sustainability going down under this head coach and quarterback. But we'll get to that here in a minute. Let's go over these meltdown plays first. The first one where it all started was TJ McDonald's unnecessary roughness call. It seemed rather innocuous at the time because the Bengals offense was having no success, but that was absolutely costly as it would have been fourth and three from the Dolphins 43 yard line in a 17-3 game. Instead, it becomes first and 10 at the 28 and the Bengals score four plays later right to begin the fourth quarter. So Miami could have gone into the fourth quarter with a 14 point lead and the football. Instead, they do not. Bengals score a quick touchdown, 17-10. Dolphins get the ball back. And then perhaps the play of the game happens at that point when Kenyon Drake does an outstanding job of knocking somebody out on a chip pass protection block, leaks into the open field, catches a pass, carries it for 16 yards, picks up a first down, which, by the way, Kenyon Drake ended the game with 111 yards from scrimmage. Not quite the 150 I had in the lock of the week, but he definitely got involved for the first time in a while. But after that play, that was when the wheels really came off. It seemed like Miami was going to respond and bounce back, maybe get some points and put the game back on ice. 
but no, it goes in the opposite direction. The deflection interception play, and you break that thing down. And yes, Sam Young is beat immediately off the snap. Sam Young is absolutely worked as he was throughout the course of the game, beat instantly inside, and the play was over because of the offensive line play there. But what the hell is Ryan Tannehill doing on that play? He did like this jump throwaway where the ball stuck in his hand too long and wound up going directly down, ricocheting off of his tight end's helmet, bouncing back in the other direction. If he just throws that ball to the sideline, at least we know the drive probably ends on third and eight. Let's be honest, this offense does not convert third and eights. And we force the Bengals to go the distance of the field against the Dolphins defense that has played very well to that point without a couple of penalties that extended drives. So then Miami gets the football back, has a nice first down to start the drive on third and one. A quarterback keep gets the ball right around the 40-yard line. So there's a chance to still get down there and get points and take the lead once again. But then the penalties start coming in. A holding call on Sam Young again. Turns into second and 17, turns into third and 17. Then Ryan Tannehill tries to make a hero play and it goes back the other direction once again. And isn't this just a fucking thing with this team at this point? You know, one of the reasons I was so excited about this team going into the year was because you watch the tape and they always seemed to be the ones that were just beating themselves. And I figured that would work itself out over a year or even two, but no, that's just who they are right now. That's who the Miami Dolphins are. They are a team that cannot get out of their own way and makes too many critical errors in too many key moments and continues to play from behind the chains because of it. Offensive penalties, poor punts, big breakdowns in protection or coverage on defense. This is just a team that shoots itself in the foot. And at this point, that feels like Gaze's defining characteristic trait as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, a shot off left foot. And before we talk about the rest of this game, let's just take the overall temperature on Adam Gaze real quick, because here's the point, guys. The one thing that has really stuck in my craw is this offensive line thing. And I won't ever understand it because it's been completely convoluted and just random in the last three years. First, it was Adam Gaze does not need guards to run his system. The ball comes out. They don't value the position. They never will. They don't have to have top shelf offensive line play because of the system. Okay, Jermon Bushrod, Anthony Steen, and a handful of other linemen that did not do anything well for you later. Here you are with Jay Cutler getting killed, Matt Moore getting killed, and you wind up with TJ Yates playing a playoff game back in 2016 because you don't care about the offensive line enough to invest in it. Okay, so now the line does matter. In 2018, we go out and get Josh Sitton, a fantastic left guard. Go out and get Dan Kilgore, a passable center who is supposed to have better health than Mike Pouncey. Didn't work out that way. They re-signed Juwan James and have the two tackles along with Jesse Davis. So now we have a five-man offensive line that you can believe in. So then two guys go down. Laramie Tunzel goes down with concussion. You now have a new left tackle, left guard, and center than what you anticipated having on opening day. Yet here we are running the same concepts down the field that take forever to develop, that take forever for the quarterback to recognize what's going on. And, and Ryan Tannehill just stands in there and takes these sacks, takes these hits, doesn't move around. So I'm at the point where I'm asking, which is it? Is the offensive line not important? It seems pretty important when you're running these complex routes way downfield. Are you going to change your game plan when you don't have the offensive line? Are you going to pull things back in, get the football out of the quarterback's hand quicker? I don't know, man. The play calling, the way the offense was orchestrated, the way everything has kind of gone this year around Adam Gaze and his offense, they are bottom of the of the league in just about every major category. And it's time to start asking why. Too many turnover opportunities, too many three and outs, too many punts, too much failure on the offensive side. And I know there's a home and away split, but this shit has to get fixed and it has to start this week against the Bears. All right, that rant is over. I have another one coming at the final segment of the show, but we'll save that. We'll talk about the rest of the team in the next segment. But first, a word from my bookie. 
And after starting the weekend three and one on my college picks, I fell to three, two and one. But the truth is, guys, it's not about who you're betting on. It's about who you bet through. And that's why I always tell my audience to go with my bookie, the best bet you'll make this entire season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. I would only recommend a service to my listeners that has been good to me. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie where you win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, over-unders on fantasy points scored, and the most rewarding player perks in the business. And since my bookie is slammed with new bettors and wants to give everybody the best possible customer service, deposit your money after 7 p.m. Eastern time, and they'll give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. Join now and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar when using promo code LOCKEDON. That's one word, LOCKEDON, to activate that offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And do not forget to use promo code LOCKEDON when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play money. And if you're willing to hold out until after 7 p.m., you can get that extra 25 bucks by using promo code LOCKEDON25 at the end of it. LOCKEDON25. Up to you guys, but wait until after dinner and take the extra money with my bookie where you play, you win, you get paid. I wish I had a Victory Monday podcast for you guys, but we do not. The Dolphins fall in Cincinnati 27-17 to after a 17-point lead was taken early in the third quarter. The Dolphins gave it back after a bunch of turnovers and poor and sloppy offense. And I think the reason they got out to that early lead in the game was because of the variety in the running game and the way it played off in the passing game. Frank Gore ran very hard and very well in this game. He's a guy that's going to get you the maximum yardage available on the play, but he's not going to make guys miss in the open field. He's not going to break the big run. He's just dependable, and he was definitely a good signing and something I have to kind of ask for a mea culpa on because I did not think he would have this much production and this much impact on the offense. And the way they kind of ran that variety in the ground game was what gave me a lot of excitement for this game going forward, capitalizing on the speed the Dolphins have on the edges, also with Kenyon Drake in the game, and of course that big passing touchdown that he had in the game Definitely capitalized on that lack of speed the Bengals have. And the Dolphins ran more variety with that inside trap move, a different look with outside zone, inside zone. And of course, the jet sweep action was implemented once again, as well as the zone read from the quarterback, which I was calling for all damn game. If you guys follow me on Twitter, at NFL, calling for it all day. We finally got it there towards the end. But the running game really set things up in the passing game. And that's where Jakeem Grant, Danny Amendola, Albert Wilson, and Kenny Stills, I thought were playing well in this game once again, especially Jakeem Grant on that punt return. This guy is electricity in a bottle. We have to find ways to get him the football more and more and more because every game he's doing this, he's making a big play, whether it's a 102-yard kickoff return, whether it's a 58-yard touchdown catch from Albert Wilson, whether it's a 19-yard touchdown catch from Ryan Tannehill, a 71-yard punt return, whatever it is, he is making massive, massive, huge plays, and he needs to find the football way more than he is. Kenny Stills, I thought, worked pretty well in this game. He was finding open space downfield in the intermediate portion of the field. Albert Wilson was terrific, eluding tackles in the open field on this one. He was off to a good game with 43 receiving yards in the one. And then on defense, they looked fantastic. Minka Fitzpatrick continues to ball out. Rashad Jones made a huge difference in the game. Xavier Howard held up pretty well on his own right against A.J. Green. The linebackers, Kiko Alonso gets himself a pick. Jerome Baker has two sacks, looks fantastic blitzing that A-gap, also playing off the edges. I think it's pretty clear to this point that Jerome Baker is a better 
better player than Raekwon McMillan. Whether he will be going forward, we will see, but it looks very clear to me at this point right now. The pass rush for the Dolphins was doing mostly good in this game and almost got home several times, especially Robert Quinn. He was so quick around that edge and so many times looked like he was going to get there. He never quite did, but he did flush Andy Dalton out several times. And Charles Harris had himself a pretty good game in this one as well, coming in for Cameron Wake. The defensive line as a whole, I thought played pretty well. The defensive as a whole in general just played really well in this game. They were only allowing two of 11 third down conversions, but those two big penalties they allowed, the TJ McDonald hit that was really a questionable call and the Chase Allen roughing the kicker, which was a terrible call in my opinion. Those both extended drives. But other than that, two out of 11 on third down for the Bengals offense. The Miami defense really came to play in this one. They really deserved a win. They took the football away. They, they stiffened up in the red zone. They were tight on third down. They rushed the passer. They held the Bengals to only four yards per carry despite some late runs against that kind of prevent defense that allowed them to get that yardage back on track. But the Dolphins defense played very well. Matt Burke deserves some kudos, some credit for this game. He had a great plan coming in. They showed some more variety with that A-gap pressure I talked about with Jerome Baker. I just thought they did a lot of things in this game that really made me confident in the defense going forward. But there were some duds in the game because there has to be in a game like this, right? So go back to the offensive side of the football. That's where you're going to find pretty much all of them. Now, let's start with special teams, actually, because Matt Hawk, you never know what you're going to get with that guy. The punt's either great, like a 60-yard boomer through the air, or like a 30-yard flop that has to be ran up and caught by the return man, and the Dolphins wind up getting bad field position because of that. But that's a weird, weird situation going on there with the punter, Matt Hawk. On the offensive side of the football, the offensive line is in shambles. Utter, utter atrocity on that side of the ball without the starters. Ted Larson was a nightmare. Jawan James was absolutely pitiful. Sam Young does not belong on an NFL field right now, which is strange because I thought he had some moments last year in backup duty where he was actually decent, but he was a train wreck in this game. We talked about Ryan Tannehill. We'll talk about him more in the next segment. The running backs I thought were good. Receivers I thought were good. Tight ends, it would be nice to get any production out of those guys. They seem completely lost. And now you've got Nick O'Leary taking more snaps than Mike Kosicki in the game. So who knows what's going on there? Like I said, on the defensive side of the ball, I don't really have any complaints about that side. They played pretty well. Kiko got lost in coverage on one play, and they had a couple of run fits that weren't there. But for the most part, the defense was good. You just can't really expect to win a game when the offense scores only 10 points in its own right because seven of those points came from the punt return from Jim Keen Grant and also gives up 14 points on turnovers taken back to the house. So the defense played lights out. I think this young core has a chance to be pretty good. We know about Baker. We know about Fitzpatrick. We know about Xavier Howard. We know about some of those defensive tackles in the front with Vincent Taylor, by the way. Got to mention his name. Had another block kick in this game, his second of the year, third in his career. Blocked a whole bunch of kicks down in college. He is having a fantastic year inside. Aside from a little bit of age on the defensive end position, this defense has a chance to be pretty good for a long time. All right, this last segment on the other side of the podcast is going to be something that I didn't think I would have to get to this early in the season but I am just going to relieve my fears and concerns on the podcast here, and we'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. But first, a word from our friends at Vivid Seats. And week six is coming up next Sunday in Miami. The Dolphins will host the Chicago Bears, and you can find a way to get to the game with our pals at Vivid Seats, or maybe you want to do something else and not watch football after what Miami put you through this Sunday against the Bengals. Vivid Seats is an online event ticket marketplace dedicated to providing fans of live entertainment with experiences that will last a lifetime. Whether it's going to the game, 
or seeing your favorite band live in concert, whatever it is, you can get there with Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all live events you want to go to, and you can sort them by price or look for seats in the section or row of your choice. And to make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive $20 off of orders, $200 or more to save even more money. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $20 off orders of $200 or more for new customers of Vivid Seats. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app, enter promo code LOCKEDON for $20 off any order $200 or more for new customers of Vivid Seats. Make a memory that will last a lifetime and get to your favorite live event with the help of Vivid Seats. Segment number three, October the 8th, Monday podcast, a Monday loss podcast, not the victory one we all had hoped for. And I saw several comments on Twitter regarding my tweet thread of about six or seven tweets where I talked about my lack of confidence growing in the wrong direction in this team, in this quarterback, in this coach, whatever it is, the culmination of things Miami Dolphins are doing is not working for me right now or for what I think this team could be in the future. And I saw some of you guys talked about how Travis is broken. Way to go, Miami Dolphins. You broke Travis. And yeah, kind of. I, I typically am the optimist guy here in the group, but for the most part, I try to be sensible. I try to see things through a non-aqua colored lens just to give the best perspective on how the Dolphins can be good without being too much of a homer. And that's why this segment, it's not going to be easy, but I think it has to be said. So I'm going to say it right now. One big thing. So here we are. We were always going to have to have this discussion, the one about the future of Ryan Tannehill. And while I still claim it's too early to tell, it's only five games into a make-or-break season for him and the Miami Dolphins, I think I came to a final conclusion about the quarterback in general today. And during that meltdown game, there were so many opportunities for one, just one player, to step up and put a stop to things and get the Dolphins the hell out of Cincinnati with a win, with a 4-1 and record, and merry times had by all in Dolphin land. But that didn't happen. And when that doesn't happen, you point to the quarterback. Yeah, I know he was under an insurmountable amount of duress the moment Laramie Tunzel left that game, but that doesn't excuse the Ryan Fitzpatrick type of decisions or even the misses we saw earlier in the first half that cost the team drives, cost the team possible points. The play has been the same throughout five games all year. And going back over several years in his career pre-Adam Gaze, inconsistent, slow starts, too loose with the football under pressure. And speaking of that pressure, he's not dealing with it at all. He basically either turtles or attempts to get into his windup when the pressure arrives, and that's a big part of why he's thrown five picks and fumbled the ball four times. That's almost two potential turnovers per game, just not going to be good enough from your quarterback. Look, I still like Ryan Tannehill. I still think he's a good player. I think that he has plenty of traits you can grow around and build around and become a good offense with, but is good ever going to be enough for this team? They have never put an offensive line in front of him, ever. Why did we expect that to change all of a sudden? He's shown almost no ability to struggle at carrying offense this year. He has in the past, but not this year. Those road games, those big moments. Do you have faith in number 17 down by four with two minutes to go and no timeouts? Because today I had none. And there were multiple times in the game where he could have done something to change that, but it didn't happen. Maybe this isn't about Tannehill as much as it is the rest of the team. Hell, even in the last segment, you heard me lament a pretty good young defense 
But what is the path for this offense to even become competent again? Stripping down the offensive line and building around Tannehill's strengths again? And how long will they stay healthy for? So the only other good option is to replace the quarterback. But those options don't look any good either unless you want a struggling Brian Lewerke or Drew Locke in the middle of that first round. And then you're pretty much starting all over again because you have to go through a terrible rookie year like Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen are going to go through this year. Again, maybe this isn't a Ryan Tannehill thing, but I watch the other quarterbacks around the league and you just see this evolution at the position. It's a different ask than it was 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Hell, even three years ago, playing quarterback is just different. The way the game has evolved, it's different. And it just seems like too much has to go right for Ryan Tannehill to have success. And when that happens, he flourishes. He's great. It looks beautiful. We're all happy. But how often does that happen? How many teams can play that brand of football in the NFL? The Jaguars, the Vikings, and their dominant defenses? Both of those teams have been beaten down swiftly by the modern NFL offenses in Kansas City and Los Angeles, respectively. And if the Dolphins are going to go that route, will they ever get there in the next five to eight years while Tannehill still has a career going for him? At this point, it just seems imminent that for the Dolphins' offense to become a good one, it might have to be under a new quarterback. Because while right now we all think a 10-6 and season, a wild card berth, and maybe a close wild card loss game would make us happy this year, but I guarantee you come January it won't. And if this team runs into Kansas City or New England, they have absolutely no chance in those games. And then you enter an offseason where you are 10-6, and middle of the draft, not a lot of capital to get up and get things drastically changed. So then you're kind of stuck back in that purgatory situation. And that's kind of why I'm so bummed out. It just seems like Miami is going to be in the 7-10 to win purgatory forever where they never really truly compete for an actual deep January run. And that's what we all want. We want Super Bowls. We want championships. Not just a crack at going 10-6. and So hopefully that fills the negativity quota we have for the podcast going forward. I will not continue to harp on this throughout the week. I will continue to have the same coverage for you guys all week, breaking down the Bears game and, of course, finishing this one up. But as for this podcast, that is going to be my time. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins and keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. 